Hello, and welcome to the What is So Show, and the first episode of our three-part mini-series on creating resiliency within your remote workforce. So what is so? Well, one of the major consequences of social isolation is having to work from your home, which is challenging for a number of reasons. A big one for me right now is navigating my daily work routine in close quarters with my partner and children and figuring out when and how I'm going to get work done. But this social isolation won't last forever. For the context of this mini-series, we're not focusing on the next few months of the C-19 outbreak, and instead we're trying to understand the shift that is occurring behind the chaos, which is creating a new paradigm in which commuting to a centralized place of work is considered inefficient and a relic from the 20th century. It's probably important to make the clarification that this isn't possible for every industry. For manufacturing and construction, these are all constrained to facility and site locations. But remote working is very applicable to a significant portion of the workforce. And for that portion, the majority of people out there cannot wait to get back to the office. So I don't want us to get bogged down in this conversation with the idea that working from home is the solution. Maybe the solution is decentralized office space located within neighborhoods, or maybe something else. But for the sake of discussion, let's assume this isn't going to be the last pandemic we are going to face, and that the time and environmental impact on commuting to a centralized location is significant, which shouldn't be too far from the truth. So with this information, how can you create a strategy around injecting resilient DNA into your company to create long-term sustainability instead of putting on a band-aid to get you through the next month? What are the systems you need that will allow for efficient work processes? And how can you create a thriving business culture based around a remote workforce? Systems, processes, and culture. We're going to unpack these and look at proven solutions to help us know what is so and where to go. Okay, let's get going. The systems that companies use to store, share, and organize their data are important in any working environment and become critical in a remote or decentralized workplace. This seems pretty obvious that you need to be able to access your company's data to get your job done. So as we move to this work at home environment, how do our systems need to transition with us to ensure we have uninterrupted access to this data? In this episode, we are joined by my friend Ryan Arsenault, and we are going to geek out a little bit on content management and how organizations can reduce the risk from a breakdown in document management and revision control. I previously worked with Ryan for over a decade at a company he owned, and we operated all over the world and had many small offices and remote staff. In a similar environment that we face today, we were able to refine what we thought was the proper way to handle documentation and content. And since that time, Ryan has created a content management company called Lukla, which really solves a lot of the problems organizations are facing today. But the real reason I wanted Ryan here today is that a lot of the advice I have seen posted online to help people get through this work at home period is very theoretical. And when I read it, I ask myself the question, well, well, how would I implement that? 
And I hope I'm not the only one asking that question. So my intention of bringing Ryan on the show is that between the two of us, because we've lived in this world already, we can share some of the pitfalls as well as some things that have been really successful in terms of implementing content management across a remote workforce. So without further ado, let's bring Ryan into the conversation. Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. I, uh, obviously, we, we started uh, organizing content and, and finding a new way to, to work through this challenge back when we were involved in the engineering business, but clearly since I've progressed into content management at a higher level, we've learned a bunch of things. So I thought a lot of the times it helps to talk about how you got to this state because it didn't, you wouldn't have ended up here if you'd planned in advance to yeah. organize content. You screw right? up a lot of things along the way. Especially if you knew the tools you were going to have today to be able to organize information. So. If you, if you started from scratch today, you would not organize information the same way that most businesses and most content management platforms organize information. When we did a deep dive within our strategy and we look back at how we ended up in this place, in, in this challenge in the first place. So if you think back before there were computers, people organized content in their filing cabinet in a series of folders because that was the easiest, it was really the only physical way that they could segregate information at that time and still retrieve it because it would flip yeah. and fold their pages together. So then the computer came along, Apple was one of the first operating systems that was, and they were integrated. And so they, they introduced an indexing system in the original Apple computers that nobody understood. And Microsoft was obviously running in parallel at that time and recognized that no one knew how to other than Linux code guys knew what indexing servers were all about. So they, the easiest way to get people to understand that was to replicate a filing cabinet on your computer, which is how this started. So they took the picture of the filing cabinet and the file explorer became, it used to be a, an icon that looked like a filing cabinet and within it was folders and the folder issue, the challenge that it uh, posed early on um, has persisted all the way through till today. That's always been a problem with virtualization, I think, is we've we've invented this amazing new technology and then we've just basically replicated the same functionality inside of it. Yeah, when cars came along, they looked like buggies. Because otherwise it's it's too scary for it's too scary for people to understand, right? Um, so if you start looking at the, the path to, to digital transformation or progression or whatever anybody wants to call it now, the next step was to link multiple computers together with one bigger computer, a server, and the file structure. They just moved it onto a central computer that everybody could access. That's really the way that most businesses were built and continue to be built um, up until probably the last five years with the advent of cloud at a higher, higher level. When but haven't, to... haven't they taken the same thing with that cloud platform and basically applied the same fault? You took the words out of my mouth. So the next, the next step in transformation is to move it to a cloud architecture, which takes a bunch of issues away, mostly related to communication, connectivity, speeds, things like that, and just push your content up in the cloud. So they think they've made a big change there, but all they've really done is taken their file structure and moved it onto a bigger computer that, that more people can access with less speed issues. Yeah. But the file structure still exists the same way as it did before. So if you take the content management I'll use the uh, tech buzzword ecosystem 
it's divided into two big spheres. And the one side is called enterprise file sync and share. That's where people like Google Drive, um, Box, Dropbox, um, SharePoint, if it hasn't been customized, all, all of these sites are very, very similar in their feature set. They're easy to transform into because it has a file structure that everybody's used to. There's very little um, governance when it comes to dropping information into it. You can just take your files or your folders that exist today and punch them up there. So, so that's the one side of the ecosystem. It's basically rudimentary version management and a nested folder structure. And then if you flip over to the other side of the sphere, which is a, a way larger piece, it's called enterprise content management. And on that side of the space, you've got companies like Oracle, um, who just bought, did a billion dollar transaction and bought Akinex last year. Did they really? Or that yeah, was probably 18 months ago now. Because Akinex was kind of my first example of someone that did that really well. Yeah, absolutely. And because most sites and Akinex wasn't like this, but the, the burden still exists that people can't find the information they're looking for. And for me, that's the base issue that needs to be dealt with. Um, I'll just backtrack a bit. On that side, you've got Oracle, IBM's up in that space. A company called OpenText out of Toronto is there. Uh, my business, Lucla, exists in that space. So if you've got large enterprise content, you do not want to put it in a file sync and share site. Because as you grow and as the world continues to progress, um, you're leaving all of your mission critical information in a um, archaic process that was designed to sit in a metal box on someone's office floor is how I look at it. And it's all of your important business information that everybody needs to do their job every day. There's a stat out there and I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but there's, it's something like 15 to 20% of an organization um, labor in an information setting is spent looking for information, not working on information, but is spent look, just looking for it. Like a big one for me was the risk around um, all of the work that ha like if someone has the wrong file, let's say they spend a, they they don't spend five hours looking for the file. They, they find, find the wrong one. They find the wrong one, and they spend a couple of days working on a file. Just so that and the the frustration that that creates inside the, cult and, the oh, cultural issue. It's yeah, huge. How yeah. mad you are at Fred? because he stuck the file on his desktop somewhere and didn't yeah. upload it in. Yeah, absolutely. So what you had at your office before we went into remote work mode was kind of backstopped by the ability to have this really quick communication. You basically find documents by talking to people. Absolutely. And so when we look at a cha the challenge for um, collaboration is segmentation. So if you, and it's the same thing you're saying, but if you, um, we found that if they're segmented by geography, whether it's a floor in an office building or an entire city or in a different country, the same problems exist. Now, when we move into remote work, everybody else now is experiencing the same challenges. The other, um, the other segmentation challenge um, that is very common is function. So you can sit across the hallway from somebody in your organization, but if you have a segment if, you're, if I'm in an HR role and the person across is in a core business role, whether it's engineering or architecture, because we're in completely different functions, it doesn't matter if we're sitting in the same cubicle, 
we're, our, our jobs are too different from each other. We can't communicate properly on how information is stored. And so in the file world, what people do is if they're segmented by function, they take their information and they copy it and move it over into their own nested folder structure and paste it and say, it took me a long time to find that. I don't want to have to go through that pain again. So now I'm going to duplicate it. When you look at um, some of the biggest issues in terms of information management, you touched on, on it already is version management, revision history, whatever you want to call it. But duplication of content, we don't know who owns the latest relevant piece of information. So we both work on different copies. That's that's revision control or version management issues. So you need a process in place that's that um, makes it difficult or or um, makes it easy for people to work on information and not have version management issues. Uh, I had a I've got an anecdote. Someone was um, there. Was, it was actually a high level board presentation. So these guys were all executive level guys, um, and returned from a presentation to a pension fund board. And the, the three executive level guys that were out of Calgary sat down afterwards and they all had different versions of the presentation. And they had actually handed out hard copies to the, to the pension fund board, which was their investing base when they delivered the presentation. So they had to phone the, some people that were in that meeting and ask them to scan and email back the presentation that they gave. So they didn't, they would understand which one it was, which was the current version. They didn't even know what they, they, Gave them. No. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. So version management is definitely an issue. You need the ability to, if you're transitioning into an environment like this and you want to start um, improving your work processes, you need, you need the ability to isolate or lock content. And at the same time, a way for other people in the organization to easily identify that it's locked or removed from uh, from use, and that other people uh, are able to see who has that piece of content. So if you restrict it too much, people will go around the, the go around the lock and try and do things on, on their own way. So it, I think everything needs to focus on the user experience. Obviously, I own a tech company, so that's one of our focuses. But even if you're deploying information management in a in an organization and you choose to do a file sync and share or something like that, you need to really think about how your people are going to interact with that content, and the easiest the the best and easiest way to make their life simple. So if I if I'm um, I'm dealing with a bunch of remote uh, workers right now, and we've transitioned onto. Um, What's the Microsoft one? SharePoint? We can all work on our Word documents live together so you don't have issues around someone. What are some of the pitfalls there that can that can happen? Because I know that, that it's probably happening a lot. Same with Google Docs and all of those live editing. Yeah, I, I think um, in terms of version control, the ability to live edit content, it's, it's, it's a great collaboration tool so that people can be in a piece of content at the same time. You and I can work on a Zoom session and both be in the spreadsheet and we can both be altering cells at the same time. I think that's important for collaboration. It's a cool productivity tool. Now, if we move into actually being able to track versions of content, um, and it doesn't matter if it's accounting or um, information management or 
drawing versions, whatever the case may be, if you lose the ability to see what changed and when it changed by hard locking versions, it makes it very difficult to do any type of forensic analysis after the fact if something goes wrong. So yeah. Google Google Docs is a great example. Let's say you're working on a contract, uh, you're in a law firm, you've got three lawyers interacting with the same piece of content, guy in Toronto, guy in Vancouver, a guy in Calgary, and a couple of guys, everybody's on the call at the same time. The guy in Toronto signs off because of a time zone difference, so it's hard for him to collaborate, so he goes to bed. The guy in Vancouver and Calgary continue working on that same piece of content. Now, there is some rudimentary tracking inside that uh, Google Drives, but or Google Docs, but it is not at a place where you can go back and, and hard lock yeah. versions and say it's kind of hidden. It, it's, it's, hit- it's hard to use for sure. Yeah. And they've, and, they track every keystroke. So you're trying mm-hmm. to find a change and you're going through like 10,000 line items of changes that have happened to a document. It's, I've tried it. It's super difficult. I totally agree. And I'm not knocking Google Docs. I think Google is one of the most fantastic companies on the planet. I just think for, in terms of protecting versions and revisions on mission critical data, that's not the system I would use. So we went into looking at, so people transferring into this remote working environment, um, ways for companies. So if they're not going to make this jump into a completely new form of managing the content, uh, ways to help reduce the risks associated with remote working, putting in uh, rules and processes around locking content and making sure that people aren't duplicating files. I feel like it's very it's very difficult to take this file-based system and apply all of these rules because you're basically relying on the human element um, to follow them. Yes. And I, I think that's just, it's, that's a challenge at the best of times. Or the challenge that organizations are going to face if they just try and migrate into a cloud environment and they might not see it right away. It'll probably be a, a, a bit of a breath of fresh air because it's a lot easier to access content in the cloud than lots of organizations are suffering right now with Citrix server overloads and bandwidth issues and things like that. VPN yeah. access. And that all of those um, technologies, in my opinion, are antiquated. They were built around a different internet. They were built around the lack of um, advanced cloud service providers that exist now. So if you're if you're tunneling for me, if you're tunneling into an organization, and there there's definitely still places where the security is so high that they need to they feel the need that they need to do that, keep their information on site. But for the majority of businesses, um, the the advanced encryption technology that's there to provide end-to-end encryption on, on file sets while you're uploading and downloading and things like that, more than meet the test for security for organizations. So do away with VPNs, do away with these Citrix bottlenecks and allow your people open bandwidth to get to files. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, let's chat a little bit about um, ways people are going to work from home in terms of uploading and editing documents from their home office. Uh, I know I'm, I'm definitely happy. I'm not an, an executive at, at Xerox days because they, this is probably going to be very difficult for them coming up. Yeah. It's funny actually, because when you look at Kodak, when the digital camera came out and they had, I, I believe they had one of the first patents, didn't they for digital cameras? 
or digital film or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then they went bankrupt. This is going to be probably a big shift for them because no one has a photocopier or any photocopiers that exist at your house are basically one page scanners. Um, and one of the things that I know we changed right away was we didn't, we removed the office printer. You were only allowed to use the printer for personal use. You couldn't use it for anything work related. Yeah. I think that was almost probably 12 years ago now that we did that, made that change. If you think yeah. 12, 12 years ago, how many businesses removed printing the printing function from their office? We were uh, ahead of our time back then yeah. for sure. But a lot of good things came out of that. And I know one of them was the file size. So one of, so the big one was you didn't have people queuing at the photocopier waiting to uh, print off a bunch of stuff and then writing on it and then going back in and scanning it because you ended up with these giant PDF files that were really slow to move around. And now when you're editing stuff virtually, you end up with a nice small file size. And it's legible. And it's legible. You can zoom yeah. in. The, uh, if you look at the, the engineering exercise that we were embarked on at that point, we had project teams in Calgary, uh, project management functions based out of Dubai. We had an engineering center in Pakistan and our work sites were scattered across the Middle East in places as remote as Northern Iraq. And there was people that were flying boxes of engineering drawings from their engineering office in Dubai, not us, but other companies were flying boxes of drawings from their engineering office to site and then getting in a land cruiser with security detail and trudging across the desert to deliver these things. So by the time they got there, it was probably a week later and the information was already outdated because guys at the office had already started doing revisions to things. And so it was just this continual flow of people moving paper back and forth, but we were able to exist in an environment where with, even with reduced mobile infrastructure, because everything was either satellite or mobile based, it still is. We were able to move more information way faster, well, obviously way faster instantaneously. So our project teams in, in Calgary had access to the exact same information the guys in Dubai had and the guys in site had and the guys in the engineering office in Pakistan. And there is zero duplication of files because everybody was working on the same content, which if everybody could get to that place, which we were 12 years ago, it would make a monumental difference in a lot of businesses, but yeah. Get rid of your photocopier, I guess that's a Get rid of your photocopier. Good first yeah. step. But they're all, le they're all leased, right? Yeah, they'll play out their leases. I don't know if you'll ever get... Well, you're definitely going to get there. Um, but... I think this, this will be a major eye-opener because you look at some of the document control departments in larger um, engineering firms and they have this V-train of a photocopier that's an impressive piece of machinery that is soon to be a stranded asset somewhere. Mm -hmm. the, so there's a couple of challenges, I think, when you move into virtual markups. One challenge is cultural. Now, younger the younger generation has a, a way easier time with it. But if you've got uh, your older older staff, have a, and I've seen this on the engineering environment side and the content management side, they have a very difficult time managing the process to change. So that's one challenge is just getting every is transitioning people into that type of environment. The other one is you need to prepare people and provide them with the tools that they need to be able to do that efficiently. So yeah, you, you can't do that on a 15 inch laptop screen. Makes it very difficult. Yeah. You've seen our offices. We have 27 inch cinema screens 
And if you need two of them, you get two of them. Like we've got cinema screens everywhere, which is the old Apple name for the 27 inch. Red, yeah, Thunderbolt display, which they, yeah. which they don't make anymore. No, they make a, nice, a really nice one now. It's 7,000 bucks. Jeez, that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> but even at the time when, I, when we were setting up that engineering office, people thought I was crazy that I was buying these $2,000 Apple monitors. And the reason we were buying them was they had the best picture and you're expecting people in your organization to stare at those computer screens. You better provide, you need to provide people with the tools, whether it's, uh, we provide uh, everybody with iPads so they can do virtual markups. We provide everyone with large screen retina displays so that they have a, a very detailed picture that they can look at all day. And everything, it doesn't matter where you sit in the office, all the stations are the same, so they have consistency when you move around. Where if, you're, if, if you've got an outdated IT department who's trying to save money on monitors and everybody's working off of an 18-inch old Dell monitor that a bunch of those are kicking around, and so you've got someone with two or three of those in their office and it's like, you're really limiting their ability to be productive. And then you expect them to transition yeah. to something that they don't understand or don't, they are, or they're very challenged to make that jump because they see it as a productivity issue. They're fat, they can drop, they can write it down faster. But what they don't see is the information issues that creates down, directly downstream of them that affects everybody else that needs to look at that piece of content. So yeah. one of the barriers that you need to overcome is to get people to do it. And one of the ways that I found it is if you provide them with the right tools, you're uh, really going to make everyone, it, it, it's a cultural change. If you, if you allow people the right tools to do their jobs, they actually enjoy doing it as opposed to being forced down a rabbit hole. It seems like it's the square peg analogy. Yeah. If you get a brand new shiny big screen, you'd be pretty excited about transitioning off of the uh, old photocopier. Okay, so it's been my observation that a lot of people are, they've just got their head down and they're trying to make it through this, this uh, work at home isolation period, but we don't know how long it's going to go for. So they're kind of, they're basically trying to keep the ball rolling with what they've got right now. How long do you think until it, the issues around revision control and and um, how long before those start cropping up, do you think? Well, it depends on what type of an organization you're involved with. So sometimes you'll have uh, version issues that never get caught. There might even be manufacturing or, or, or construction issues that aren't discovered. So there's the, the tip of the iceberg rule. If you have something that's in design and you capture that error, then it's going to be a, you can save a dollar or it'll cost you a dollar to fix the problem. If it gets to um, ordering materials, it's gonna cost you $10. If you fabricated components already, it's gonna cost you $100. And if your product is either commissioned in the field or in the hands of the end consumer, it's gonna cost you $1,000. So obviously that's just an order of magnitude exercise, but that's that's the real issue with version, uh, losing control of, of revisions and versions in an organization is People don't want to spend money or, or start to tackle this problem because they think they can get through it anyway. The risk to that um, approach is that you're going to have a series of errors that might not catch you today or tomorrow. Maybe it's, maybe it's already happened to you. Maybe it's going to happen in a month. Maybe it's a large construction project and you're going to find it a year from now. But when those, when those information management issues come up, 
you're really going to wish that, especially in this transition now, because you're disrupting a bunch of work processes for people who had a way of collaborating before that's now broken. And they're trying to, trying to find new ways to do their work. If you're exasperating version management issues, it's going to have a large impact on people's business. How long that's going to take really depends how well they're collaborating in the new environment. How about um, first early warning signs that something's going wrong? Cultural issues. If you have people that are infighting over information and they're starting to silo off information from each other, that is a huge red flag that you're not doing it right. Um, any other good stuff comes along with, like, I, I'm, I'm, I like to be optimistic these days, or I try to be. Um, so we've got this, this new paradigm unfolding in front of us. What are some of the opportunities that we can look out for? Uh, well, I think some of the opportunities that exist, they've existed for a while. It's just the biggest opportunity. And I, I say this somewhat selfishly is it is going to drive people to change the way that they manage their information, which obviously increases our client base, which is good for us. But I don't, I, I really approach this type of work with the difference that we can make in other people's businesses and how much of a change it is. So there's a huge opportunity for us to help a bunch of people get better at what they do. And they're not, they don't need to get better at information management. They need to get better at building buildings or bridges or paving roads or whatever they do for a living and take away this information bottleneck from them. And if you're going to try and attempt to do that without using the power of today's technology, you're really not going to get any better. The same inefficiencies that were in your business before are going to be there now. You're going to have to go through a work process change to get everyone used to collaborating in the cloud. You're likely not going to make a huge impact in your business once you get through this period. I think people should take this opportunity to change the way they manage information because they're going through a big change anyway. So go through a, a little bit of a bigger change and get to the other side, which involves deploying today's technology and people that are experts in the field that have solved the problem to help your business get more efficient. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. This is fun. I love talking about content management. You are one of two people in the world and I'm the other one. <laughs> um, appreciate you guys having, uh, trying to get the conversation moving and uh, also helping improve the way that people's businesses are able to do work. Because I think this could be a huge opportunity for people to increase efficiency. So good for you guys. Thanks a lot. Right on.